Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And we've got a returning guest who appeared back in April 2019. So really, when I first uh, first started this, um, which was episode 21. So I do encourage you to uh, to go back and uh, listen to uh, that episode um, after obviously listening to this. So we have um, Peter Ludwig, who is the founder and MD of Mako Gold who are exploring and developing assets in Cotabur in West Africa. Um, Peter's a geologist with over 30 years experience in exploration and mining, um, primarily focusing on gold um, and has worked in Canada, Africa and Australia. Um, and he's here today to give us an update on what Mako Gold have been up to um, over the last year since we, uh, since we spoke. So that's welcome, Peter, back to the podcast. How you doing, Peter? Hey, good. Uh, thanks for having me on your uh, program again. No, and I appreciate that. And like I said, it was nearly three years ago that you were first uh, first on this uh, podcast when I first started out. So I'd imagine a lot of things have happened in those last three years. So um, I wonder if you can just give us a um, overview of yourself, um, a little bit about your background, um, and tell the audience um, your, a little bit about your career, and then we're going to uh, um, talk about more about uh, Mako Gold. Yeah, so um, I'm uh, as you mentioned, I'm a geologist with uh, over 30 years experience and, and worked quite a few places across the world and uh, focused on gold. And uh, so previously, before uh, setting up uh, Mako Gold, I'm uh, one of the original founders and, and managing director. Uh, we, uh, most of us uh, before that, worked for a company called Orbis Gold that uh, focused in uh, West Africa again in Burkina Faso. And, we made three discoveries there, and uh, which led to the takeover of the company, which uh, led me to creating Mako. And uh, so since, since uh, we started up Mako, we've made two gold discoveries. Uh, uh, the, the main one I'll be talking about is in Côte d'Ivoire, uh, the Napier project, and uh, where we just announced a maiden resource. And, and we also made a discovery in Burkina Faso uh, but uh, we ended up selling that uh, last year uh, to a, a large uh, uh, Russian company, Norgold, uh, before all that stuff happened in Ukraine. And uh, and it, it, we, we sold that with a bit of mixed feelings because that was a good discovery, but it was getting uh, a little bit difficult for small juniors to operate there. And, and uh, you know, like larger companies can afford good security to, to work there, but uh, so, yeah, anyway, we're uh, really focused on Cote d'Ivoire. We have two projects, the Napke project, which is our flagship project, and uh, the Gohogo project, which is earlier stage, and, and uh, we're, uh, you know, part of the pipeline of projects. Um, yeah, so I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about, obviously, the, the new discovery at Napier, the Napier project. Yeah, so we actually made the discovery in uh, 2018. It's a JV uh, Fireman JV that we did with Pursuit Mining, who's a you know a good uh, Australian operator, uh, has three mines in West Africa, 
uh, one in Ghana and two in uh, Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, so in 2017, we uh, we did a, a signed agreement with them uh, to earn into the project. And, and recently, uh, we, we earned 51% into it. And uh, and uh, recently, we renegotiated that so that we have 90% of the project in exchange for them getting equity in, in Mako Gold. So they're exposed to our other successes as well. Uh, so we recently, about uh, three weeks ago, announced our maiden resource on that. And uh, that's uh, 868,000 ounces at 1.2 grams per ton. So uh, we we're pretty happy with that. And, and there's a, a lot of lot of pathways uh, to growth on there and 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 that's where you know our plan is to grow it we think we have uh, the potential to host uh, you know two three four million ounces on on the permit um wonder if you could just tell us about the other project that you're involved in as well yeah that's a Google go project and that's one that we uh, we applied for and and got granted and then we did you know we've been at this a long time so we know the the, the processes to get things done so so we did all the preliminary work. We did the, you know, the airborne geophysics. We did the soil sampling. Uh, earlier this year, we did uh, some auger drilling in certain areas to uh, in some of the high areas highlighted by the soil sampling. And then we did a small drill program on there, uh, which uh, really didn't hit the targets. Uh, uh, we had uh, about 2,000 meters planned. Uh, we were uh, targeting... Uh, uh, greenstone granite contact with uh, with a fault that you know it's a regional fault it runs all the way into uh, Burkina Faso where Endeavour's got their 2.7 million uh, uh, ounce uh, Wanyan mine and uh, when we realized that we weren't hitting the contact we, we stopped the pro- we stopped the drilling you know don't waste shareholders money sort of thing and 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 there was another reason for that is on our other project our geos have been uh, doing some mapping and found a nine-kilometer long artisanal mining site, and and we wanted to go drill that in a hurry before the before the wet season hit, and uh, and uh, and then we we made a discovery on that that we announced uh, uh, yesterday actually, and uh, so um, yeah, so just because we didn't uh, hit on on the Kohogo project. Uh, you know, by all, you know, that's just a very small part that we're drilling. And, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of other good targets. And then the target that we are drilling, we're going to work up with some groundwork in order to, you know, do some trenching and and, and dig some pits in order to find uh, that greenstone granite contact. And once we find it, then we'll start drilling again. And and uh, hopefully that's where the goodies will be. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um a lot of us, I suppose, have been hearing negative news, and obviously this is probably more around security, um, around West Africa. Um, how does this affect MAKO um, in Cote d'Ivoire? Um, and obviously there, there seems to be a lot of security issues around Burkina Faso as well. So what, what are your thoughts and what are your opinions? Obviously you visit um, West Africa um, pretty regularly. So what, what are your what would you say your thoughts are on the security issues around the countries in West Africa? Yeah, and uh, obviously, you know, when I look at getting uh, a permits, uh, that's uh, probably the number one uh, thing that I look at. It doesn't matter how good the geology is. Um, so when we created Mako, we, we first started off in Burkina Faso because we'd been working there for about 10 years. And and uh, I had, you know, done a little bit of work in Cote d'Ivoire with Urbis and uh, gotten some permits over there and 
And uh, I really like Cote d'Ivoire because uh, it, it was kind of like Burkina was 10, 15 years ago. And and I incidentally, I also worked in Mali, Burkina Faso uh, in the mid 90s as well. So and speak French. So I'm, I'm kind of, uh, uh, you know, got a pretty good idea what goes on there. So as far as the security goes, yes, that's that's why we sold our, our project in Burkina. That was the main reason, because uh, not only was it, you know, safety issues, but also it, it was for small junior, it was difficult to get funding for a project there because of the security issues. And and I really like Burkina. I've got a lot of good friends there. And and I really hope that they solve those issues because as soon as they do, I'm going to, you know, the plan is to go back there. But I don't think that's going to happen in Cote d'Ivoire for, for two reasons. Is uh, The first one is Cote d'Ivoire is, uh, is uh, wealthy by West African standards. It's, you know, next to Ghana. Uh, which is next door to the east. It's, it's uh, the wealthiest country in, in West Africa. So they they can afford a good police force, a good army, and, and so on, which is not the case for Burkina and other places. And the other reason is a lot of the uh, uh, jihadist uh, terrorist activities that are happening in places like Burkina, for example, are happening uh, in the north and the east of Burkina, where they come across the border from Mali and Niger, where uh, you can pretty well drive anywhere because there's hardly any trees there. And uh, whereas once you get into you know northern Cote d'Ivoire, there's a lot of vegetation, whether it's you know wild vegetation or, or, or farmers' crops, and the only place you can drive is on you know trails and roads. So uh, you know these guys don't want to get caught. So. Um, so there's very little activity. There's a little bit of activity right at the border between uh, Cote d'Ivoire and Burkina, but we're, you know, well away from that. And and uh, to be, you know, when I go there and I was there uh, last April, uh, you know, I just walk down the street and go to a roadside pub and, you know, we're the only white people and have absolutely no worries. So how, obviously you mentioned that you were in West Africa back in the 90s. How much has it changed since then, back then, to what it is now? Uh, it, it's changed a lot. Uh, when I worked there in in, uh, in uh, the mid nineties, I, I was a few years younger than I am now, and and uh, so I, I was there as a senior geologist, as an expat, and uh, and uh, you know when I went back there in uh, you know about um, late 2000, uh, 2009, 2010, and that time, uh, I, I noticed huge changes as. Uh, and one of those changes I noticed is, is uh, you know, you could get good geologists, a good, uh, you know, uh, not just geologists, but accountants, you know, everything. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of uh, development in the education so that before where companies had to, you know, fly in people like me in the mid 90s, uh, you know, unfortunately, I get a lot of uh, people, you know, uh, you know, get connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, you know, from UK, Canada, you know, uh, Australia, wherever, and say, I'd like to work in Africa. And I say, mm, sorry, you know, like our, our crew on the ground is 100% local, which st- stands us in good stead with the administration. And uh, and for us, you know, uh, they know how to get the job done over there. And and they're just as good or better than, than uh, geologists that you would find uh, in the rest of the world. Um, obviously, ESG um, is often talked about um, and more predominantly um, more recently. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, your relationship 
with the local communities um, in where you operate? Yeah, well, we've we've got an excellent relationship with the communities, and you know, at at all levels, all the way from uh, uh, you know the Ministry of Mines uh, down to you know the villages uh, where we operate, and and the reason for that is you know our approach is uh, our approach is based on respect, and uh, you know you are you know you know no matter how you uh, you want to think about it, we're strangers in someone else's country. And so when, when you go into their, uh, their uh, communities, there has to be some benefits for them. Um, so we, you know, we try to do it commensurate with the size of the company. We're not, uh, you know, BHP or, or new mod or anything like that. So we, we do what we can. And so for, as an example, uh, you know, we, we drilled a water well for the, uh, one of the villages where we work in, uh, when we have our bulldozers out doing our drill pads, uh, we ask, uh, you know, the locals, which roads do you want fixed up? So uh, in one case, uh, between two, two of our um, deposits, uh, there's, a, uh, uh, there's a Chaga and, and Gogbala deposit. Um, there's a creek there. And uh, so I used to, you know, we built a bridge there. And so, yes, it was self-serving for us. It helped us. But, but by doing that, it helped the community where before it took the community an hour and a half to get you know, around that to get to uh, to market, and now it takes them half an hour. Uh, what we do is we hire all in the local villages, and as as I said, hundred uh, percent of our crew is local professionals and non-professionals, and so we take people. For example, one one of our guys, uh, he's uh, our two IC, uh, and uh, he's he's a geologist that we hired fresh out of university. Uh, uh, about eight nine years ago, when we were with Orbis, and and uh, and then uh, you know we've got a lot of ex Orbis employees that wanted to you know work with us once Orbis got taken over. So so we're actually you know giving a lot into the community as far as uh, educating people. We've got uh, gender diversity as well. We we've got a, a bunch of uh, female geologists and 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 so on. And so it's it's all about. Uh, you know, some people talk about DSG, but we actually believe in it. And obviously, I suppose around the world, it's hard for, um, I suppose it's hard for companies and the industry to attract people into mining. In West Africa, is that completely different? Does everyone or a lot of people want to work in the mining industry because they see it as an exciting industry where you can probably earn um, better, better salaries than maybe other industries. Do you, is that a fair comparison? It, it totally is. And uh, so here, for example, in Australia, and, and I was just in Toronto at PDAC uh, uh, and talking to some old colleagues of mine. And and uh, um, you know, you get a geologist that that comes fresh out of uni, and uh, you know they expect to get, and and they will get, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or more. And they don't want to get their hands dirty. They think they, they, they you know, uh, they should be working on a laptop sort of thing. And, and I, I'm not saying they're all like that. But uh, um, and one of the other things, you, we don't get that in, in West Africa because it's, it's, a, it's a very vibrant economy. Uh, and, and mining is the backbone in, in, in those economies. So, for example, if you look, at uh, Burkina Faso, which is having trouble right now, obviously. But up until then, 
um, the and still now, uh, be, up until a few years ago, their number one economy was uh, uh, growing cotton. And, and now mining, gold mining has taken over as the number one GDP uh, source. And so the other thing is, is, is in the Western world, uh, is, you know, mining's got a negative connotation because everybody is, is uh, ultra green sort of thing. And, and I, I'm a greenie, you know, and, and, uh, and I operate, uh, I make sure I uh, operate in, in an environment and environmental and social, uh, socially responsible way. But to give you an example, uh, a couple of years ago, I was at a IMAR conference in Melbourne, and uh, uh, a big conference, you know, hosts about six thousand uh, people attended, and and there was a lot of protests. And I actually got I, pushed. I, 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 I was I was there. <laughs> yeah, and, and I got pushed down the steps, and and the police by the protesters, and the police had to encircle me and 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 escort me in there, and you know what? Every one of those protesters had a, had had a, a smartphone in their hand. So, so maybe the phone is smart, but the protesters are. <laughs> yeah. they, they, don't, they don't understand where the minerals come from. And that so, whereas in in uh, West Africa, they understand that if you're driving a car, you need to mine. If you want to buy your wife a gold ring, you need to mine. And and as long and and. Uh, you know, when, when you're working over there, it's all done. There's, you know, strict regulations or strict mining codes. You got to do it all by the book and everything. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not too, it's not hard to get employees where, whereas here in, in Australia, there's a shortage of geologists. And uh, so we don't have that problem at all. Yeah. Sorry, so, long, long answer. To no, short, no, no, uh, that's fine. And what I was going to say following on from that, why is it, why do they understand it in West Africa, yet in Western worlds, they don't understand? Is it, is it through the education system that they understand that everything is either mined or grown? Is it just through their learning? Is it through people in the community that pass that information on? Um, how do they, why do they get it and the Western world doesn't get mining? Well, I think it's because the Western world is spoiled and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, they, they want all the material things and they do get them. And, uh, uh, but they're not thinking about, you know, uh, what's behind, uh, how, how, how you get those things. It's like when I used to live in Northern Canada and I used to hunt a big game for meat. And I used to get some people that, that uh, would criticize me for that. Usually outsiders, you know, I lived in Yukon. And and the first question I'd ask them is, are you a vegetarian? And uh, and and if they weren't, I'd look at their shoes and I'd say, well, your shoes are made of leather. So so the only difference between you and me is that you're cutting out the middleman or middle person, and and I'm t- taking responsibility myself for you know killing that animal. And it's the same with the mining world, where people forget, you know, they they. You know, all these people in Melbourne, they said, well, I took the tram to get here. And it's just, well, the tram is made out of metal and, and so on. And so I think that's the difference. Whereas people in West Africa, they they understand where, where things come from. And they also understand that, you know, we're in a society that that needs these things. And, and, uh, and they also have seen their lifestyle improve ever since, uh, you know, mining came into those countries. 
as long as it's done responsibly. Yeah. Which is so do, so do you think in the Western world they should have a mining subject as part of their curriculum at an early stage? Well, I or think something, you, around, something around that. You definitely need to make people aware in the education program. You know what I really liked when I lived in Yukon? You know, it's a uh, uh, very wild territory. It's, uh, you know, really large. There's only about 30,000 people live there. And and there's a, a lot of mining. Obviously, the Klondike Gold Rush, you know, and I lived in Dawson and and, and mined there as well. And uh, and they had educational posters around that that showed all the things that were made up came from mining, you know? So, you know, somebody that's going to be, you know, anti-mining is going to be driving a bicycle and they're going to say, well, you know, mining is wrong. And it's just, well, where do you think that bicycle came from? And, and so on. So, so they had a poster with all these different things. And, and it, you know, once you confront people with that, uh, maybe not verbally because, you know, they're just going to have a, a comeback for you, but uh uh, by uh, by showing a poster and, you know, might say, hmm, you know, scratch your head, you know, okay, maybe, you know, if I want to have that bicycle and, you know, and, and that iPhone and everything, well, maybe, um, you know, we do have to have some mining. And and as long as it's done in an environmentally uh, uh, sound way, then there's no issues. Yeah. Um, so just going back to uh, Mako Gold, um, what sets you guys apart from other junior miners? Um, and why would investors uh, invest in Mako Gold? Well, as I mentioned, we just came out with our resource, uh, and that's you know just shy of nine hundred thousand ounces. And uh, we think that within uh, uh, a year or less, we'll grow that uh, a million and a half ounces. And at that point in time, that's when we can start doing scoping studies and. And, and then move towards feasibility, which is your road towards production. And while we're doing that, uh, you know, keep drilling and then keep adding ounces. As I previously said, you know, we think that permit has got the potential to host, you know, two, three, four million ounces. And the reason for that is our resource is on two prospects on uh, uh, which cover uh, about four and a half kilometers of a 30 kilometer shear that we have on the permit. And we've got two other prospects uh, that we've identified, and and on those prospects are along that shear are coincident with the 23 kilometer soil anomaly. So you know two things. You know that uh, you know uh, when when you're targeting something, you know uh, uh, it's good to have one target. Having uh, two coincident targets is even better if you can get three, even better, and 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 so on. So. Um, so we think that just the Chag and Gogbala prospects will, you know, within a very short while, will deliver about together, you know, about a million and a half ounces. And and just yesterday we made a discovery on on uh, one of the other uh, prospects along a, a nine kilometer long artisanal mining site. And you know we got hits like uh, uh, nine meters at three point two four grams per ton. Uh, and uh, one meter at you know over thirty grams per ton, and and uh, five meters at uh, one point uh, five something like that. That was only twenty three holes over an area of about nine kilometers. Um, so, and the other reason is that you know every CEO will tell you, oh, geez, we're horribly undervalued. Uh, however, if you compare our uh, valuation. Uh, uh, Per ounce, you know, for our market cap, we've got a market cap of about twenty-five million dollars. 
uh, our valuation is about $35 an ounce, or a little bit less than that, probably about $30 an ounce. And the average valuation for uh, West African resources that came out in the last couple of years is about $70 to $85 an ounce. So, you know, we've seen other companies lately, uh, including Orbis a few years ago, but uh, West African resources, uh, Tieto, uh, which is in the same belt as us in, in Cote d'Ivoire. And, you know, a few years ago, for example, three years ago, Tieto had about uh, 700,000 ounces in the ground and they were sitting at about an eight cent share price. And here, you know, and we were sitting at about eight cents still a few weeks ago and the markets took a horrible tumble, obviously. And uh, But, you know, here we're sitting on just under 900,000 ounces and and, uh, you know, we think we could be in the same situation as Tieto in two or three years. And uh, Tieto is actually building their mine right now. And uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, so basically, you know, all you got to do is look at the history of previous, you know, West African explorers. And and I know all the, all the CEOs for those, and I've seen them all pull their hair out, you know, when they're, <laughs> their share prices in the basement, and which is pretty well what I'm doing right now on a regular basis. And, but I know that there's some, or I'm, you know, I'm quite sure that there's, a, a, you know, a, you know, some good redemption coming down the road uh, for for those that are patient to wait, you know, get in now and, and wait a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, all, all, obviously, all the miners are getting hit now, um, and no matter what commodity, but um, I think it's just, it's just the the time of year, um, and I, I imagine things will. And well, it's a good time to buy. If the share price is down, it's a good time to buy. That's all. That's the way I can look at it. Absolutely, I've been doing that myself. You know, with some of the you know, I invest in other companies, and then you know, a lot of them are uh, explorations, mining companies, and, and stuff like that. And you know, because I understand them quite well, and so I've been buying some 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 of the ones that you know, for example, a, a company company X that I may have bought, you know. Uh, Two years ago, at uh, say fifty cents or something, and now they dropped down to thirty cents, and and they've improved the project. Well, if I thought it was a good project at fifty cents, uh, well then, geez, I'm getting a bargain basement price by being able to buy it now at thirty cents, and 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 then hang on to it for a year or two, and then hopefully it'll go up to a dollar, two dollars, you know, whatever. And uh, incidentally, I just bought. Uh, myself uh, a bunch of uh, mako shares yesterday so so there you go yeah so and that and that's because you believe in the <clears throat> believe in your project believe in the thesis and you know where you're going so um no that's that's really good to hear um what's the i've got a couple two more questions what's the outlook for mining in the west african region from your perspective and i suppose look at in relation to the prospect of mining um, but also sort of government interactions and economic, from an economic sense. Um, and I'm, well, I, suppose I, mean, I'm not, I suppose I'm not asking you to predict the future, but how do you think, see things playing out? Well, I, I think things are, um, you know, West Africa is like a really good place to be. And uh, it was interesting. I was watching, I can't remember what it was, but some well-known uh, uh, analysts talking about safe jurisdictions, a uh, Canadian uh, analyst and and uh, a while back and and he was talking about uh, you know safe jurisdictions like uh, um, you know Canada uh, um, Australia and 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 then he said oh and West Africa and so I thought well okay that's a, that's a validation but uh, one of the things that I see is 
in Latin America, uh, you know, you're getting a lot of uh, extreme left-wing uh, uh, governments uh, that have just been elected, and and there's there's a lot of uh, um, social issues there, anti-mining issues, and and so I think what what uh, is going to happen is has probably already started happening is is some of the money uh, that was being invested in in Latin America is is now people investors are now saying, well, look at West Africa, and it's as I said, you, you, there, there's rules, so it's, there's no shortcuts, but uh, it's a very transparent, and could you are, it's very transparent. And so I, I see the the industry, you know, really forging ahead. And so if if you look at Burkina Faso until, you know, this jihadist activity hit, you know, in 10 years, they put one new mine into production a year. It's like, what other country can boast doing that? Even Canada, I don't think, has done that, or Australia, for that matter. And uh, and the other thing, the difference between, say, working in Canada or or, or uh, Australia, is when you discover something, the government is going to assist you. So they're going to, you know, help you put in a hydroelectric line or help you build roads and stuff like that. Whereas in West Africa, the government in all West African countries as a 10% free carry on a mining project. So that means that you've got, they've got uh, a vested interest in it. You know, they're not spending money to help you get that into production. It's the opposite. They want you to get that in production as fast as possible so that they can get their 10% free carry and then they get the royalties and then they get the corporate tax and then they get income tax from people that are working and, and so on. So, because of that, you can put a mine into production really quickly. So, for example, when we were at Orbis, uh, we made a discovery uh, on the Natugu project, which became the Bungu mine. So we made that uh, discovery in 2012, and the mine went into production in 2016. A Canadian company that took Orbis over, uh, Semifo, who since got taken over by Endeavour, another Canadian company, uh, put that into production. I, and I, I challenge you just to, you know, for that to happen elsewhere. And as I said, it's, it, there's no shortcuts. You still got to do your environmental work, your social work. You got to get, you know, your all the permits of mining uh, license. And, and, uh, and uh, but the government is on side and, and the administration really wants to help you. And so, so I, I see a great future for West Africa. Mm. Lastly, uh, as a conclusion, um, what's the outlook for Mako Gold over the next sort of six to twelve months? Well, uh, right now it's the wet season, so uh, we as a, we just uh, uh, finished drilling on, on our new discovery. There, we finished uh, drilling that probably about three weeks ago, and and uh, so our our geological team is is doing some work on the ground, some geological mapping, some. Uh, uh, rock chip sampling, you know, to get ready for the next phase of drilling. So we're we're hoping, you know, the, it's uh, by all accounts, it's a very wet season right now. So uh, what I'm hoping is that means that all the rain's going to fall at once, and then it's going to dry out. And normally we can get back drilling in in October. So it might be a little bit earlier. Who knows? Uh, uh, so uh, basically, we've got uh, four. You know, we're focusing on our fl flagship project uh, number one and 
so we've got four prospects, the two that have the resource on it. So, so we'll be putting uh, some drills on those to try to get that resource up to a million and a half ounces quite quickly. And, and while we're doing that, uh, we'll be drilling the other two prospects on the same permit, uh, including the one where we just announced a discovery yesterday. People can go on our website at makeogold.com.au and, and see all that. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, we're pretty excited about that because, you know, some nice hits on there. And so now we want to do some more drilling, which is exactly how it started off with the uh, Chaga and Gogbella, where, you know, we did some exploration drilling a bit all over the place. And then what, once you get somewhere where, oh, my, you know, we're getting a few good drill holes here, then you start, you know, drilling like Swiss cheese and, and away you go. And uh, so within, you know, within a year, you know, we're hoping to... Uh, to have a million and a half ounces out of Gogbala and Chaga and to have advanced the other two prospects to the stage where we can say, okay, we're going to start a resource drill out on that. And that's where we're on our way to two, three, four million ounces. Peter, thank you for your time. Um, really good luck for the future. And hopefully it won't be another three years before we speak again. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we can speak again, speak again next year. Um, but yeah, look, you've... Um, I know how hard you've been working over the last few years since we uh, since we last spoke, um, and you've got a great prospect there. You know the area very well, having worked there for on and off for the last thirty years. So, um, wish you well um, in your endeavours. And if our audience wants to reach out to you or wants to find out some more information about Mako Gold, um, how can they go about doing that? Are you across any social media platforms? Yeah, I'm on. Uh... Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook as well. I don't really check it as much. I try to keep Facebook for my personal stuff and and uh, Twitter. Uh, and uh, in addition, if they go on our website, as I, I mentioned the name, uh, 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 on every ASX release and every uh, presentation, there's my uh, e- my email address as well as as my uh, uh, mobile phone number. So I'm I'm very accessible. And if, if they're calling from elsewhere in the world, keep in mind that uh, Brisbane is not in the same time zone as uh, elsewhere. <laughs> so check that yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think you're 10 hours in front of the UK. Uh, that, that, about now, 10 correct. or 11 hours. So yeah. So if you call yeah, in the UK, don't call that halfway that, through the yeah. afternoon. <laughs> and one thing I'd like to do, you said I work hard, and, and yes, I do, but I'd also like to give credit to the rest of the team, uh, including my wife and, and colleague of 30 years, Anne, uh, who's a, G, a general manager exploration, and and uh, and then our uh, you know super hardworking team over, over in West Africa. Some of them have have been with us, uh, and and here in Brisbane, and who've been with us a long time. And and uh, so I'm not taking all the credit. Yeah, now I understand. Um, so good luck for the rest of this year. Um, those that are listening, hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, certainly some things to take away from uh, from uh, Peter's content. I mean, West Africa seems a very good place to, um, to, to focus on and maybe explore if you're looking to invest in companies. Um, it's not maybe as bad as everyone has, uh, has been put out there, especially around the security issues, which Peter, obviously Peter covered. So, um, hope you enjoyed that episode. Please share this content amongst friends, family, um, acquaintances in the industry, um, whether they're in the same country you, as you or another country. 
Um, we really appreciate your continued support. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry. Thank you.